series and just a little bit more on what we'll be preaching through. And so we'll start that next Sunday. But this morning, we're actually going to be jumping into uh, a story from the book of Acts that I picked out. And so before we jump into it, would you all pray with me? Father, thank you for your word and this morning to just be able to get to be together as a family of God in a special moment in where we get to hear your word and we get to see your son clothed in scripture and in truth. And so I pray that you would, Holy Spirit, speak through me, guide your meditation into my mind, and the words that I say would point us all to your son, Jesus, and your truth. That it would create a longing for us, a heart of worship, that we might go out as the people of God to do what you've called us to do. And it is in your name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so I was uh, trying to think of a story to start off my sermon, like an illustration, and I realized that a lot of time when I get up here, I end up talking a little bit about what I do on campus at Arizona State, and uh, just stories about what it's like talking to strangers about Jesus. And I was trying to think of like how I could do a story that didn't start off with, uh, so I was on campus the other day, and I couldn't do it. So I was on campus the other day, and uh, I was hanging out with uh, Mark King, and if you guys don't know him, he leads our, one of our uh, fifth and sixth grade class, and this guy, love him to death, he has got the biggest heart for talking to strangers and just telling them about Jesus and the chance he gets, and so we're having lunch on campus, and he's like, hey, let's talk to somebody about Jesus, and I'm like, all right, let's do it. And so we get up and we go for a walk and we just start walking around. And he's like, here's what I want to do. Let's just pray and let's see who God will put on our heart. And maybe the Holy Spirit will point somebody out to us and we'll just talk to them and tell them a story about Jesus. And I'm like, all right, man, let's do it. And so we start praying and walking and he nudges me and he's like, think that guy. I'm like, all right, man, <laughs> you're in charge. And so we walk up to this student, and Mark goes, hey, sorry to interrupt you. We want to ask you some questions, talk about life, tell you a really cool story. And the student looks up and starts speaking Spanish. And so Mark looks at me, and I'm like, hey, man, I forgot I got a meeting. I got to go. And, and we, like, fumble for a little bit, and then we just leave the, the student. And that's the end of the story. <laughs> um, so what I've learned is that if you want to tell people the gospel, you need to actually be able to speak in a language they understand. And um, what we're going to be looking at today is the Apostle Paul and a story where with that gut feeling and longing to tell the most beautiful story in the world, he communicates it in such a way where the people listening might actually hear it, even though they're very different from him culturally. They're different from him language-wise and all those things that go into it. So that we might look at it and not go, how do we be like Paul? But rather, how do we as a community embody some of those things in which the Spirit did in the book of Acts and continues to do today? Amen? So uh, let's open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 17. And we're going to start reading in verse 22. So if you don't have a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. One of our ushers is going to grab you a copy. And if you don't own a Bible, just keep that one. And that one will be our gift to you as we continue to read the true story of the world. And so we're going to be again in Acts chapter 17, starting off in verse 22. 
reads like this. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, and I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined a lot of period, the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he's actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. Even as some of your poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to us by raising him from the dead. So here's the story. Paul, the apostle, ends up finding himself in the city of Athens. Think like ancient Greece, city of Athens. And so he's, his battle plan is that he's going to wait for his two buddies to come and meet him, and then they are going to continue to share the good news to anybody who is here. And so what you get is a story leading up to this where Paul is just walking around in the marketplace, and he begins to notice all these different items and carved images that represent the Greek gods and goddesses of the time. And they're, I mean, they're everywhere that he sees. And so he's in the marketplace, and it says he has kind of like this gut reaction. Like he's provoked within his spirit in seeing all of these different idols. And so he begins to find anybody he can and to tell them the story of Jesus and the resurrection. And then he finds somebody else, the story of Jesus and the resurrection. And anybody who will listen to the point where the philosophers of the day, loving to hear anything new that someone has to say, they grab Paul, they bring him out into like their meeting place, and they go, tell us about what you're talking about. We love anything new. And so Paul with that deep conviction of, I want to share the story of the world for these people who have never heard it. But also in such a way where it's not just another new religious fad, and also in such a way where these people who are not Jewish, they don't know the story of God, and this is really completely new to them, how are they going to hear it? And so what we see as we pay attention to Paul going through this story is that when he opens his mouth to share the gospel, First, he knows the cultural stories that he's actually in, and he knows the biblical stories. Second, he affirms, critiques, and ultimately fulfills all of these cultural stories with the gospel. And last, he does it in such a way that points to the resurrection as proof with a humble and bold witness. And so the first thing you notice is that Paul doesn't necessarily start off with the story of Jesus or even the story of Israel. He says, here's what I've noticed about you coming back. I've been walking around. I've been paying attention. I've been listening. I've been talking to people as I get my breakfast in the morning. And what I notice is that you all men are very religious. I notice all these idols and these icons and these things, and I'm hearing the story of your culture. And it's incredible to see that he begins 
not necessarily with the story of the gospel, but with the story of the culture that they already believe and buy into. And what I think we can learn from that is that to be a community that can speak the gospel in a really winsome way, we need to become story bilingual. What I mean by that is that in one hand, we should have the word of God and know the story written. On the other hand, we should have a newspaper or the new Netflix series or the opinions of our friends who are not Christian or something within the news to where we understand the story that we are claiming is the true story of the world. But also, there are stories everywhere that are claiming to be the true story of the world. So we got to know them. We got to know the language that people have bought into. And I think that where Paul begins by saying, here's what I noticed about you. Here's what I see about you already comes from a place that Paul knows something that we really need to understand within our time as well in that there is no such thing as a blank religious slate. One of the things about the modern world, especially the Western culture particularly, is that we have bought into this myth, not just of pluralism, but also the fact that there can be this kind of all-religious, not-religious standpoint that anybody could live or do anything. But that is never the case for any culture, any people, any individual. All of us have a story and deep religious convictions about how the world is, how it's supposed to be, what we've put our hope in. All of us have these convictions, no matter what we say or who we necessarily are or what culture we come from. And so before we can even tell that story, we have to know the stories that our world is living in and fits within. And so one of the things that I did is just kind of an experiment, I did with Mark as well, is I went through and I just asked people, strangers, hey, if you could tell the story of the world, the way you see it, and your place within it, what would you actually say? What would you tell? And, and challenge people, could you write it down on a piece of paper in like a set of symbols or a drawing or a comic book strip, whatever you want to put? And so I actually copied some of those down for you guys, and we're going to show you some of the stories that people have begun to tell. And so here's the first one. And I know you can't read the handwriting. My handwriting's bad, but it says, what are we doing here? Am I the only one who thinks like this? And then the next one, this is a student who I asked him to do this, and he pulled out an architect's pen. Um, so I knew it was going to be good, and I was like, whoa. <laughs> but he draws this, and the way this student described this to me is that the world began in chaos. It continued to advance, and when technology comes about, we actually begin to make the world far worse, and it's actually going to collapse back into chaos, and who knows that's what it began to look like. The next story, this is one of the most impactful ones for me. When I had, saw this drawing got pushed back across, I was like, oh my gosh. This student said, this is me, and I have the world on my shoulders, and on the different continents are friends, family, and the media. And if you can read it, the ocean in which people can go across is dependent upon my success. So I, I asked, uh, asked this guy, I was like, hey, it looks like the guy carrying the world has got like some sweat on his forehead. And he's like, yeah, it's really hard. And I go, well, what happens if you trip? And he goes, I can't. I can't even think about tripping. And um, I'm going to put, I think, the last one up there. Yep. So if you can see it, this person is just yelling. I was like, well, what is this? He goes, well, this is all of us as one of meaningless billions yelling into the void. 
see if anybody will knock and lock the door and just push it in. And so what I have uh, more and more realized that we need to do as a people of God is have listening ears to ask, like, what are the stories people are actually asking? And, like, we want to know that. And we can ask them simple questions, like, what do people worship? What do they chase after? What are people afraid of? What are they hoping? What gives people a sense of relief or release? What do they expect or saves it? And you can ask these questions. We can ask these questions as a community. And what it will expose is the stories that people are truly believing in. And so Paul begins this argument not with the story that they wouldn't know, but a story they already know. He says, here's what you guys believe. And he points it back out to them. But then the next thing he does is he begins to tell their story and it just flows right into the story of the good news church. And it's so winsome and so beautiful. And so I tried to draw out for us what it would look like if we were to draw on a piece of paper our story. Because what we are trying to claim is the true story of the world. And so what, what I drew here is uh, we've got like the tree. And that represents the flourishing and the way the world was supposed to be. Filled with life. And it was something that overflowed from God giving it to us. But then as our story tells, our world is in this place now because the rebellion of God's creation against him, only by us, we thought we could have the tree without God, but it ended up just being a dead root. But God in his gracious would not ever give up on his story. And so he begins the story of Israel with this promise that we will fix everything. And it seems like some parts seem to go good, and then it goes bad, and it goes good, and it seems to just like go back and forth across time with this hope of maybe God will fix it, but these people, Israel, it seems to be all over the place until finally the true Israelite comes, Jesus. And the cross and the resurrection, why Paul points to it so much, is that is the moment where God proved that he really is fixing the world. That the kingdom of God really did break into human history at the death and resurrection ultimately of his son. And now we wait with the power of the Spirit, until it won't just be a garden, but it'll be a garden city, and we'll once again be where God is. But the cool part about this story is that whereas Jesus was the embodiment of the kingdom, now, by the Holy Spirit, over and over and over again, for the past 2,000 years, and it continues to be the fact, the people of God, our witness, our way of communicating the good news is that by our lives, by our community, we embody the resurrection, the death and the resurrection over and over and over again. At our work, in groups, in small ways, in big ways, over and over again, embodying what it looks like to live out the death and the resurrection of Christ and model that in such a way where the people might see the story of God. Because that is the biggest part of the story of God. What's so beautiful about this is that if you watch Paul, especially as he's walking through and telling the story to these Athenians, he sees the stories that they live in so much through this story that rather than being combative or arguing or debating, he sees the gospel is so big that all he has to do is affirm the good of their stories, critique where it doesn't actually fit humanity, and ultimately where the gospel fulfills their story. And that is what is so crazy about how he does this. And so the first thing you notice is how Paul 
actually affirm certain parts about what they believe. You see in the way he starts off and saying, man, I see you're very religious. And that is a compliment. He's not dissing them. He's actually going like, I see that you're chasing after, groping after, trying to understand and find God. And then he affirms them again and using an argument from their own poets and their own philosophers. He says, in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of our own poets have said, we are indeed his offspring. He just quoted two times Greek authors and says, this is what your culture says. This is what you guys say. And that's a good thing. That's a beautiful thing. And so what he is actually doing is affirming the goodness within their culture, within the stories they tell. If we have and begin with such a rich and beautiful understanding of God's creation, then there's one firm thing we can hold on to that will help us in all of this, and that's this. Sin never invented anything. Ever. There's not a thing in this world, there's not a thing in other religions, there's not a thing in other cultures that is good in which God did not invent. And so that gives us the freedom as the people of God to look at the good in the world and not get necessarily tied up on what, like looking at it and going, that is good and beautiful. That statement is good and beautiful. That thing, that action is good and beautiful. And affirming the goodness of these stories, and yet Paul doesn't go easy on them either. He instead critiques where they fall short from actually what they should be. And so the next thing he says is, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that a divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. He used their own argument. He goes like, if your own authors say we are like the offspring of God, then how can we form and fashion together idols to look like God? And the best way I heard this described was actually from Tim Keller. He said that the Christian worldview, the Christian vision is like a suit too big. And so you can put it on, but it's a little loose. (laughs) Namely say, how we live our lives, we always come up short of embodying the fullness of how good God's creation is supposed to look like. But anything else, other stories, worldviews are like suits too tight. And so when you put them on, eventually they begin to, when you live your life, pinch and be uncomfortable and tear and embarrass yourself, which I bend over too quickly. And so what the gospel allows us to do within these cultural stories is look at them, affirm them, but critique where they fail and fall short because that's an act of love. As we in our communities and our friendships, like when we see the way people view the world and believe about how the world is, when it fails them, do we go like, oh, that's, that's terrible? Or do we go, yeah, that, that's never going to fit because that story doesn't fit humanity. And so the gospel is clothing too big, whereas others are too small. And so the last thing you see about what Paul does in his argument is that he uses the gospel as a fulfillment for their stories. It doesn't just demolish or abolish them, but it rather becomes the complete telling of that story. He says, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all the people everywhere to repent. It's just beautiful. It's like Paul is telling the Greeks, your story that you believe in, God was at work the entire time. Even though you fell short and missed him, he didn't miss you. 
And every bit of this story of the gospel invites you into that time. All that past, God doesn't even, he passed over it. Now he invites all to respond and invite in. And so in this beautiful way, he completes their story with Christ and then points to the resurrection. I heard from uh, one of my professors this story of a tribal people group um, in South Asia. And they had been completely cut off from any modern, like, interaction. And so there was a group of Christian ministry missionaries who wanted to go and share the gospel with them. And I think out of a lot of wisdom, they went to be with them. And rather than just jump right off and say, hey, we're here to tell you about Jesus, they just jumped into the lives of this tribe. And they began to listen and ask questions and learn the language and the culture and the stories. And what they began to realize is that there was this legend within this tribal people group that they all pointed back to. And they said that the story of their people was that where they were at right now and the, and the problems that they're experiencing in the world now as a tribal people of famine and violence and what they're experiencing was actually because of a story a long, long, long time ago where God used to live with that tribe. But because their tribe did something wrong and was not able to fulfill this particular right, God up and left their tribe and left them. And so what these missionaries did and it's, I think, an act of total genius is they told the story of Jesus not as a totally new story, but rather said, yeah, that's actually the story of the whole world. It's not just your tribe. God, we've experienced the loss of his presence in everywhere, and it's because of your sin. But the good news is God has come back. And he has come back not because of what you've done, but he has come back because he has actually given his son for you, the tribe, and for the whole world and all peoples. And so now, there's not anything you necessarily need to fulfill, but his son is a gift to you. And so, in doing so, fulfilled the story of that tribe. And it became good news in a way that they could actually hear it in a beautiful way. And ultimately, it all gets fulfilled in the resurrection. And that's what Paul does. He goes, God will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he's appointed. And of this he has given us assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Paul's proof, or his apologetics, which is kind of like this way of saying a defense for the faith. His apologetics is the resurrection. That's what he points to. And what I think is crazy about this is that Paul, unlike the first 12 apostles, was not present physically there when Jesus resurrected from the dead and then began to start walking with him. Paul had a vision of the resurrected Christ, but he still was so convinced that this is an actual historical event that he pointed to it as the proof for the faith. And I think the reason he did that is because Paul knew there were certain things that were happening in the world that couldn't be real unless Jesus resurrected from the dead. The more I talk about the faith, especially the more I talk about faith with people who don't believe I used to think that starting off, it was really about having a very good rational argument. And what I mean by that is, here are some facts, and here's some history and some proof that shows us that the resurrection had to happen. And I remember talking to a student, and uh, he's like, yeah, that does seem to be the big thing. We believe in the resurrection or not. And so I, I said, well, let me tell you why I think the resurrection happened. I began to give him a lot of arguments and rational things and get done. He goes, wow, that's incredibly convincing. And I go, well, so why wouldn't you believe that? 
And he goes, well, you know, because of my past and what I've experienced, and actually I grew up in a Christian cult, I'm afraid of, if that's true, then does that get attached to all this stuff that I grew up with? And what I began to realize in that conversation and experience a lot more is that a rational apologetic, though important, does not trump an emotional apologetic or relational apologetic. I I heard this, I remember where from, but someone said that witnessing is about making good men want the gospel to be true and then changing them. And so how could we as a people in our conversations as a community have this humble, bold witness that just simply says, I don't know where to find this anywhere else but Jesus. And I know the resurrection is true because how else would we find life like this? How else would there be a brand new community the way the church is? How else would there be? I can't find it anywhere else. I, I ended up talking to a friend of mine who is not a Christian, and we started going back and forth, and we spent a lot of time together having these conversations, and we were kind of joking around, and I was like, yeah, why aren't you a Christian? He goes, why aren't you an atheist? And then we started talking back and forth, and he, you know, asked me again, like, really, like, why don't you believe in Jesus? Why aren't you an atheist? And so I told him, I was like, here's what I, here's, here's what I feel, and here's what I've experienced. I cannot find the love of Christ anywhere else in the world. I cannot find a community that is like the people of God anywhere else in the world. I cannot find a story that is more filled with righteousness, that is more filled with grace, that is about God chasing after humanity, not humanity chasing after God. I can't find it anywhere else in the world. And so he began to ask me, well, if I could find those things outside of Jesus, would you be happy for me? And I asked him, have you found those things? He goes, well, you know, not necessarily. And I go, here's what I would say. This is not us going, out of all the religious options, pick ours because it's really good. But rather, this is saying, I just can't find this anywhere else. I don't know where anywhere else to find life but in Jesus. And it is this humble, bold witness of saying, not right, but that we go, I just don't know where else to find it. And so if you could find it somewhere else, okay, but I can't find it anywhere else. And I think that you really see that in the story of Jesus and John and Peter. And Jesus tells one of the hardest teachings where he goes, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And all his apostles go, what? And everybody in the crowd around him were like, yeah, this is the crazy route. And they all leave him. And so Jesus is sitting there with his apostles and he goes, are you too also going to leave? And Peter stands up. And I feel like this has to be our motto as well. And Peter says, where else could we go? You have the words of life. And so what, what might it look like for us as a people of God not to be thinking so much about like how do we be like Paul? Because this, this is not a calling for us to be like Paul. But rather, if the story is true, if the spirit of God continues to work in a mighty way, how, I, how might we again and again and again with how we live and how we actually open our mouths and speak just simply say, I just don't know where to find this else but in Jesus Christ. I don't know where to find this good news anywhere in the world but in Jesus Christ. And that is the only place I can find it. Amen? And so I love reading from the book of Acts. And sometimes 
I catch myself where you read these crazy cool stories, like the beginning of the book of Acts where they preach a message and 2,000 people get saved at once. And you go, that's amazing. I wish I was there at that time. And when you think about those stories from an individual standpoint, they can get almost discouraging. But then when you begin to think about the story as the entire community of people of God, God still is really working in mighty ways. I was reading a book the other day that was outlining the growth of Christianity. And it said that of the 2.29 billion Christians in the world today, there's a current growth rate of 1.2%. So don't, I'm writing that number down to record me because I did it early in the morning and I still haven't topped it. So I tried to break down what that would mean by year based off of the past years and then going forward. And then I broke it down by the day. 70-something thousand Christians get added to the number every single day. So God is still working in this mighty way. And rather than thinking like, okay, how do I get up and talk boldly like Paul and proclaim this? No, all we have to do is the people of God say, I don't know where else to find this story. It seems like all the other stories don't fit the narrative. But it seems like Jesus has filled every bit of those stories, amen? So, With that, let's close our Bibles, and as the family of God, let's begin to have a time where we respond to God as a family of God. Let's let's pray. Father in heaven, your name is really beautiful. Your kingdom come, your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven, and may our hearts be ever pointed towards your son, Jesus. Today, as we go about our day, would you teach us how to be a people that has a humble and bold faith? That as we are together, we might encourage one another. And I pray for everybody in here. I pray for those with family members that we've longed to share about Jesus with and see them come with some fresh Pray for our time together as we lift up our hearts and that we might really experience heaven and earth together with God. God, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. At this time, we're going to take some time to respond. And so just take a moment, pray, and ask, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning? In a moment, Tim will come by and lead us in a time of response.